Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. I am professional wrestler Chris Rex, and if you're hearing my voice, that means you're listening to the Bear of Texas podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to another edition of Into the Net FC, the soccer talk discussion segment of the Bear of Texas podcast. This is the Bear of Texas reporting live from an undisclosed location deep in the heart of God bless Texas. Ladies and gentlemen, I am here today to talk to you about the 1996 European Championship, as we like to call it, Euro 96. A very special, life-changing event for me because, ladies and gentlemen, the 1996 Euro was the very first international competition that I had the honor to sit down and watch on television. Granted, I was three years old when this took place, and I apologize for some of you if I'm making you feel old, but I was three years old when this tournament took place, but I remember watching it like it was yesterday. As you know, at the time, I was living in France, and France was really not going through a good period of soccer because France had just failed to qualify for the 1994 World Cup, and as you know, they also failed to qualify for the 1990 World Cup. So France had really gone from being one of the best teams in the 80s to really going to a more of a downward spell, really to falling into quite an obscurity. That's the best way to call it. They were certainly in obscurity. Okay, I mean, you know, when my friend and mentor Steve talks about the game against against Bulgaria in Paris in late 93 when I was a baby, I mean, man, just such a heartbreaking end, but, but France really was not a good team. So, But then shortly after... A guy named Aimé Jacquet takes over the team and rebuilds the team to prepare them for the 1996 Euro. 
1996 Euro was actually the 10th European Championship football tournament. It took place in England, as y'all know, and it was actually the very first European Championship to feature 16 participants. Previously, it was 8. Okay. You know, matches were staged in a total of 8 cities. You know, in, in England, you're definitely going to have it in the best city. So, you know, games took place in Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds, Sheffield, Nottingham, Birmingham, and of course, London. You know, Wembley Stadium, Old Trafford, Anfield, Villa Park, you know, Hillsborough, Ellen Road, St. James Park. Really quite the few well-known monuments. <laughs> That's what I like to call them. You know, since I love soccer, I mean, these... Legendary stadiums, I like to personally call them monuments. So as far as France goes, you know, again, missing the previous two World Cups, they were in the 1992 Euro, but things really did not go well for them there. So, and France was actually getting ready to host the World Cup because in 1998, the World Cup took place in France. So France really had to have a good tournament at the 1996 Euro. And quite frankly, the tournament really surprised the hell out of me. Because even though I was too young, to, I mean, I, I wasn't even aware that they had failed to qualify for the last two World Cups. I was only three years old. But lately, how I would notice how my dad would talk about the French national team. I had sensed that there was really no excitement and no happiness in his tone. So I was like, huh, France just might not be doing well. And really, they weren't. But really... France actually came into the tournament as actually a much more improved team. Like, in their qualifying group, they were paired up with Romania, Slovakia, Poland, Azerbaijan, and Israel. Of course, they struggled at first. But then things started getting better, okay? And of course, on September 6, 1995, France recorded their largest win in history, a 10-0 win over Azerbaijan. Unfortunately, they did not get first place because they missed out on one point to Romania, who f- was in first place. But the second place finish was enough for them to qualify for Euro 96, so France was able to have a little bit of luck on their side. And, you know, and, and lucky for them, you know, from what I'm reading, they were the last second place team in the runner up standings, and they were one spot away from being forced to contest in a playoff game. So, yeah, France certainly had been lucky. And based on also from uh, some research I've done, before the tournament, Emi Jacquet, his French squad played top teams like Germany and Portugal and Greece and friendlies and actually earned very positive results in all three games. And one of those games included a one nothing win against Germany in Stuttgart. So, and France came into the tournament on a 22-match unbeaten streak. And a few, and from what I'm reading, a few claims, you know, that France were the best form team in all of Europe. I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, France was certainly a young team, and there wasn't much experience there. But, you know, the, the main thing that every, everybody remembers is that France came into this game without Eric Cantona. I mean, keep in mind, Eric Cantona, you know, a, a year, like, you know, a, a little less than a year prior, so, had the Kung Fu incident kick where he uh, attacked a fan, so... And that resulted in him being stripped of the captaincy ranking, being suspended from soccer for a year, and then, you know, ultimately losing his spot on the French national team. So, you know, I mean, the the French media really came down hard on Emi Jacquet for omitting Eric Cantona. But really, at the end of the day, I mean, I should say eventually, 
that harsh and very difficult decision really worked out for Les Bleus. So, so I'm looking at the, the French squad, and I'm going to tell you, a lot of these names, I actually don't even know them off the top of my head. I mean, the names that I, that I do know very well that were on the squad is Christian Carimbeu, Fabien Barthez, Lilian Thuram, Christophe Dugarry, Pixant Lizarazu, sorry, that, that dude's name is kind of hard to pronounce sometimes, Zinedine Zidane, Yuri Jarkev, Didier Deschamps, who was the captain at the time, Marcel Dezey, and Laurent Blanc. Those were actually the names on the, uh, that I remember off the top of my head. And what I should mention is that Fabien Barthez was actually the second goalkeeper in the tournament. He was not the starter because, based on what, what I read, that you know he had previously had a two-month suspension because he uh, apparently had something to do with cannabis. I guess he failed a drug test and he was punished for it, but... But, you know, Fabian Barthez at the time, you know, 24 years old. I mean, look, all these players, they were so young at the time. Lilian Thuram and Barthez, you know, were teammates at Monaco. They were both 24 years old. You know, Zinedine Zidane was 23 years old. And, and this is what this was before his spell at Juventus. He was playing uh, for Bordeaux at the time. And, you know, Didi Deschamps, just 27 years old at the time. And look at their ages now. I mean, Zidane and Thuram in, in the late 40s, as is Barthez, you know, Didier Deschamps is now, you know, in his early 50s. I mean, <laughs> these dudes really have gotten old, haven't they? But it's just amazing how some of these players, you know, like what they were at the time, you know, like before they, they would go to Juventus and all that. I mean, they were playing it. They were all playing in France. Like from the squad, you know, only a total of four players were actually playing outside of France. And one of them was Didier Deschamps. And the other one was Marcel Dezey, who was playing for Milan at the time before he, before he had a spell at Chelsea. And, you know, also, you know, Franck Leboeuf was, was playing for Strasbourg at the time, you know, man. This is just really, you know, new stuff. Uh, Yuri Jarkev was playing for Paris Saint-Germain, and Big Saint-Lizarazou was playing for Bordeaux, as was Christophe Dugarry. So a lot of these guys were teammates in their clubs, too. So really, things. this is actually something really to, that looks pretty cool. I mean, play, you know, playing together, you know, for your country and for club, I mean... There's really a bonding moment, really bonding, that really gets built up. But but this squad, you know, like I said, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really know any of these players. I mean, the players I knew at the time was really I only knew Zidane. I mean, because I had watched a little bit of Zidane play at Bordeaux, and you know, I I felt like and I saw the way he was playing, and I told myself the French press would never believe me, but I know that I was already confident that, that Zidane one day he's gonna be something, and boy did he become something. So, now that I'm looking, okay, so France was drawn into the group along with Spain, Bulgaria, and Romania. Well, Romania topping that world quali- that qualifying group, but uh, their performance in the 1996 Euro certainly did them no good because Romania finished 0-3, no points at the very bottom of the group, and suffered an opening one nothing loss to France. France finished 2 wins, 1 draw, 7 points, and top- topping the group. Uh, followed by Spain, who finished with one win and two draws. And, you know, Bulgaria and Romania, you know, obviously horrible spell for them, and things didn't go well. But what's really special as well is that France actually got revenge against Bulgaria, in a sense, because, remember, Bulgaria was the reason that France did not qualify for the 1994 World Cup. And France, on the June 18, 1996, in the final uh, group stage game, it was a similar scenario. France only needed a draw to advance to the knockout stage, but France decided, you know what? 
this t- this club took our World Cup opportunity away two years ago. Now we're really gonna get some revenge. So France ended up winning three to one. Laurent Blanc scoring in the twenty first minute, and then um, a Bulgarian player named Penev, you know, scoring an own goal, and then a dude named Loco, Patrice Loco, I believe the name is, you know, adding an additional goal in the ninetieth minute to give France a three one win. Very well, much needed. But I'm looking at these other groups as well, because you know I didn't just watch France, because I, I I wanted to watch soccer, and I felt like since the, since um, England is the hosting nation, I felt like you know what, we should definitely you know I should probably support England. I mean I was a three year old kid and I, and I just loved watching soccer, but I mean England really much like France, you know had a good run in the tournament and unfortunately could not get to the final, and you know it, it's really heartbreaking for a host uh, nation who's really good to, you know, to have a, a very respectable run but not quite make it to the promised land to, for the opportunity to hoist a trophy. But, but England really made the best of their ability, so England really deserves deserved respect for that tournament. You know, Alan Shearer, who's playing for Newcastle at the time, I, you know, finishes the to- tournament's uh, top scorer with five goals, and you know, the best player was um, Germany's M- Matthias uh, Sammer, and it was actually Germany who uh, hoisted the title, you know, being the Czech Republic in the... In the final, you know, with a golden goal, you know, beat winning two to one. And, you know, I'm gonna be honest. You know, in a little bit, I'm gonna explain to you how badly I was affected by France's loss in the semifinals. But, but I was able to, you know, to you know, suck it up and just watch the final because you know this is this is important. It's still exciting. So, you know, and some of my friends when I tell them the story, like, was I happy that Germany won? I was like, yeah, I did not want the Czech Republic to win it after they eliminated my host country, my home country. And you know what's also what's amazing as well is this was the first major competition to be decided by a golden goal, and this was Germany's first major title win as a unified nation. And it, of course, it adds the two European championships that were won by West Germany prior to the reunification. So, so Germany really was quite on top of the world. I mean, they they were certainly on top of Europe at the time, arguably the the best uh, the best national team in Europe. Uh, some people really beg to differ, but but realistically, I mean, Germany was just was good. I mean, they could they just played in such a hardcore style, you know, focus, you know, well organized, you know, great mentality, winning mentality. I mean, the the Germans were really hard to deal with. I mean, they made it difficult to deal with, but you know, that's really what they do. But now we're gonna go ahead and move on. So you know, England topped their group of, uh, as the host, you know, seven points, followed by the Netherlands. And much to the surprise, of course, they have to put Scotland in the same group as though, but Scotland, unfortunately, did not make it out of the group stage. You know, just like the Netherlands, you know, Scotland had one win, one draw, and one loss, but I'm guessing it had to be goal, dif- it was goal differential that really made the difference because Netherlands scored three goals while allowing four, but Scotland was, was limited to just one goal and allowing two, so, so when it's in that situation, when goal differential, you know, takes effect... It really turns out to be quite a frustrating, heartbreaking moment. But now we have Group C, Germany and the Czech Republic. You know, it's pretty interesting how two teams that were in the group stage together meet again on the final. And Germany, you know, and it's, you know, Germany took the two nothing win in their opening game against the Czech Republic. So, it really, really, you know, I guess sometimes you could say, well, it was only fitting for them to meet again, right? But Germany was in Group C along with the Czech Republic. Italy and Russia, and you know, and, and here's something else that's, that's interesting: Italy and the Czech Republic both finished with one win, one draw, and one loss. Once again, 
goal differential solves the difference. Okay, so it was really frustrating for Italy, you know, to to you know to lose out on a spot to the Czech Republic, but you know, because Italy just uh, two years prior they were the runner-ups in the 1994 World Cup, losing to Brazil in the penalty shootout. So, and I and I still you know I didn't pay attention much to Italy at the time. But from the research I do today, I'm like, you know, Italy was still a loaded team, you know, still a respectable defense with, you know, some respectable offensive weapons. So Italy was still a very good team, you know, that deserved respect and was really, really on top of their game. I mean, even though, you know, even though they had lost in the World Cup final, Italy was not regarded as a team that had gotten weak. But now we get to Group D, Portugal and Croatia, along with Denmark and Turkey. Wow. Both Portugal and Croatia had two wins. But what made the difference that Portugal did not lose a game. They had a draw, but Croatia had a loss. So that's what gave Portugal the win. I, or I should say, that's what allowed them to top the group. And as far as Croatia goes, I mean, really, I have to, I believe that this this really had to be their first, uh, their, very, their very first uh, appearance in a tournament, you know, because of... Uh, the whole thing with Yugoslavia, you know, from the '90s. So, I mean, yeah. So as, as far as I'm, as far as I know, this had to be actually Croatia's first appearance as Croatia. So, wow. You know, the first, <laughs> of course, you know, the finals. Yeah, you know, Czech Republic. Actually, you know, were, was this was actually the, the them going to the final? It was their first time since Euro '96. But at the time, it was uh, Czechoslovakia who defeated West Germany. So. And of course, West Germany was hoping to win their third uh, European title, which and they were able to. But you know, it, it was it, it really was you know quite an interesting tournament overall. I and mean, like I said, it was my very first one. So, and as far as qualified team goes, okay. So, so here the here's a few, a few countries qualified for the first European Championship. Okay, Bulgaria, Switzerland, and Turkey, along with Croatia, the Czech Republic, and Russia. Okay, yeah. So, so, so as far as Croatia goes, yeah, I was right. That uh, Croatia was like the first time since the dissolution of Yugoslavia, and you know, in, in Czech Republic's case, after the the dissolution of Czechoslovakia, and for Russia since you know the Soviet Union. So, so really, you know, things change, and you know, things were, were going better for the team. So, <laughs> and, you know, and what's interesting, Sweden, who two years ago in the '94 World Cup uh, finished third in the tournament were unable to qualify for this tournament. So there's really a lot of surprises. But I should go back and mention Scotland that the 1996 Euro, this European Championship tournament, would be their final appearance in a Euro until the, until this time. Scotland will be part of the 2021 European title. Uh, European tournament, excuse me. But before that, the last time they had been there was in 1996. Can't imagine how happy they were in Scotland when Scotland finally qualified for the European cha- for the European uh, Championship tournament. <laughs> and I wish Scotland the best of luck. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure they're gonna do their best, but really, all I can do is wait and see. So moving on, now we're gonna get to the knockout stage. Wow, you know, much to the surprise, you know, during that time, you know, I don't, I don't think it was it was not until 2016. To where the European Championship introduced the round of 16, just like the World Cup. The round of 16 wasn't in the World Cup until 1986, because 1986 was the first uh, World Cup, to, I believe, to feature 32 teams. And the 2026 World Cup will actually be the first tournament to, to host 48 
participants, and it'll actually be a World Cup hosted by three countries, the United States, Canada, and Mexico. And boy, I cannot wait. Spain and England, quarterfinals, 0-0 draw. England manages to get through through a penalty shootout, 4-2 in the penalty shootout. Wow, I mean, when the home, you know, when the home nation, you know, the hosting nation, I should say, has to go through a penalty shootout, I mean, that's got to be the most stressful thing ever. I mean, personally, I do not like penalty shootouts. I do not like them at all. But with England, you know, you know, managing to get through it to the semifinals, you know, because it would have been it would have been bad for for the Lions to you know to lose you know in the in the first uh, round of the knockout stage and go home still a bit early. But after you know Alan Shearer and you know every British player that was you know, that participated in the shootout all uh, connected with their goal, all, all all made their goal, and you know two Spanish players missed there. So really, that's what really gave uh, England the advantage of, you know, the first Spanish player to take the penalty missed his shot, so so there was, a little, there was definitely a bit of luck, because, you know, when it comes to winning in a penalty shootout, you really have to have, you really have to be lucky. I mean, whoever survives a penalty shootout, they can't deny the fact that they actually got lucky. They get to Czech Republic and Portugal, wow. Czech Republic really made a statement in that game, you know, eliminating Portugal one nothing to advance to the semifinals. Czech, you know, the Czech Republic in, in 1996, a, a lot will consider that squad to possibly it, it's to possibly be the best Czech squad ever, unless there's another squad that I'm forgetting about. I mean, as far as far as I remember, I mean, the Czech Republic in 1996 in the 1996 Euro, I had never seen them more on top of their game until this tournament. But you know, l- eliminating Portugal one nothing really can't imagine the excitement from that. And then we get to Germany and Croatia. Germany winning two to one. Well, in as far as Germany goes, two years later in the 1998 World Cup, Croatia decided to gain, to extract revenge because Croatia in the 1998 World Cup eliminated Germany in the quarterfinals by a score of 3-2-0. <laughs> so Germany had their fun against Croatia in in, in the 1996 uh, Euro quarterfinals. But two but two years later, Croatia said it's not going to be easy this time, and you're not going to beat us this time. And Croatia made damn sure of it. And now we get to, okay, now this game. Now, this is where I'm going to tell a little bit of the story from my experience. France and Netherlands. Game took place in Liverpool. A scoreless 0-0 draw. Okay, well, I don't know why I said scoreless and 0-0, but a scoreless game. Scoreless in regulation and extra time. And you know what that means. A penalty Shootout. I remember sitting in the living room of the apartment that we lived in. We were living in the outskirts of Lyon, France. More specifically, we were living in a in a commune called Villeurbanne. If any of the French followers who listen to this uh, recognize that city, yes, I was I was living in Villeurbanne in the outskirts of Lyon. I was sitting on the couch. My mom and my dad were also in the living room, and we were watching the the entire game. I just remember how my dad expressing frustration the entire game when France was not taking care of business. You know, France was making mistakes. My dad was not hesitating to express his frustration and, and you know, unleash the criticism on the team. But then again, I would tell my dad, well, 
Netherlands couldn't really do anything too. So, and and then, and then my dad would respond and say, "Well, France is just France is just getting lucky." So I'm like, "Okay, fine. Maybe you're right, Dad. Netherlands is not taking advantage of their of, of their opportunities, but neither are we. So I guess both teams are giving each other a little bit of luck." But then we get to the penalty shootout, okay? And I actually did not know what a penalty shootout was at the time. So before the, the shootout actually started, my mom explained it to me, and I and then I understood. So I so I told my mom, so France really can't afford to miss a penalty shot because one miss could change the whole thing, and that's what happened in the two thousand in the two thousand six World Cup final for France. Brings back really a bad memory for me there because that really hurt me. So, but anyway, France somehow pulls it off. Wins five to four. Each French player successfully converts their penalty, while one Dutch player, by the name of Clarence Clyde Seedorf, misses his shot, and then Laurent Blanc really gives Laurent Blanc scores the final one to give France the five four penalty shootout win. Wow, and you know, and I'm, I'm going to be honest. See, growing up when I was in France, you know. My dad claims that, you know, his favorite Premier League at the time, you know, he was really in the Premier League as well as League League uh Liverpool was his favorite club, so he was really excited that this game was actually going to take place in Anfield, Liverpool, so. So, if I remember, France wins the game, and, you know, the next, <laughs> next day, you know, my dad had to travel, so unfortunately I could not watch the semifinals with him, and I'm going to tell the, the whole story uh, coming up in a little bit about that, but... But it was certainly good to see France win, and I and, and I and I told and, and I told my dad, well, this win really helps the team look a little bit better. And I because I remember before the tournament, my dad said that most of this team is lacking experience, and I said, well, this tournament is to help experience the players, to help them prepare for the '98 World Cup. And he's like, and then he, you know, agrees, says, okay, yeah, you're right. But now we go to the semifinals. Two very exciting games. France versus the Czech Republic, Germany versus England. Wow. <sighs> you know, even though the, the French game came on first, okay, and you know, again, scoreless in the regulation, scoreless after extra time, which means another another penalty shootout. And when I when I saw that the game went into penalty shootout, I had a bad feeling in my gut because I knew that this was not good for some reason. And unfortunately, my fears turned out to be quite a reality, ladies and gentlemen, because France lost five to six in penalties, and it was over. I was heartbroken. I started tearing up. I mean, I was bawling. I was bawling so bad. And you know, the truth of the matter is, my dad was not there because you know. Because uh, right after the the day after the France's quarterfinal win, you know my my dad had to go travel. I believe he I believe he was in London London on on a business trip, but you know, I just you know broke down in tears, started bawling, and I I see I remember my mom tells me the story like uh according to her you know I was so distraught that you know I I ran into my room you know got under the blanket and you know just started crying and. You know, after a little bit, you know, she, she, you know, she comforted me. You know, she said it's it's okay. You know, and she, you know, she actually made a promise. She actually made a personal promise that France is actually going to do better in the '98 World Cup. And what's what's amazing is that France went on to win it. So, I mean, I'm not going to say that France won it because my mom made the promise. I mean, my mom was just doing what a mom does. She was she was 
committing herself to making her baby boy feel better. And, you know, and she did. So I, I was able to calm down, you know, wipe away the tears, you know, clean my face. And, and you know, and then, you know, my mom and I sat down and said, let's watch Germany and England. That'll be exciting. And, you know, I, I said, you know what? Sure. Why not? So we watch it. Okay. And then, you know, three minutes into the game, Alan Shearer gives England a, a, the lead. I was like, wow. Wow, I mean, you know, and, and I told her, man, this, 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 I, I told my mom as soon as she scored, and then, you know, you know, I said, this dude's pretty damn good. And then, you know, and, and then when my mom told me, you know, how he won the, he was the top scorer of the tournament, I said, well, I said, is there a chance that this dude's going to get a knighthood? And my mom, my mom looks at me and smiles and says, sure. I mean, I felt like Alan Shearer really became a national hero for England. So, I was, you know, and Alan Shearer to this day remains, you know, my favorite English player of all time. Even though I'm a Manchester United fan, he played for Newcastle still. Alan Shearer was, you know, a goal-scoring machine. His playing style is so unique. It's entertaining. I mean, Alan Shearer really always put on a hell of a show. And when he scored those fantastic goals, you can just tell he was the best. Now, 13 minutes later, Germany equalizes. So England is lucky enough to take an early lead. But Germany decides to say... Not so fast. Game's not over yet, and we and we're still, we're still coming at you. So Germany equalizes. It stays one one for the remainder of, of regulation. Extra time, no golden goal. Once again, a penalty shootout. Uh, unfortunately, this time I did not have the bad feeling in my gut because you no, know, neither of these teams are. You know, I I don't. I'm not a diehard supporter for them. I I respected them both the times. So I was like, I just told my mom, well. Whoever wants the penalty shootout, I mean, it's not only that they're lucky, but we can't, we're not, we shouldn't deny the fact that they earned the win. I mean, it was amazing. You know, the, f- the first five players for each team, you know, successfully converts, and then Germany, and, and then the German player by by the name of Andreas Moller, you know, put, makes it six to five. But then a certain dude by the name of Gareth Southgate misses the penalty. And it's over. Like wow. You know, it's just so you know. You know, I remember when I was working um, at a Domino's Pizza. The owner of that store, who was I was very very close to. Um, you know, he's from England, and a lot we spent so a lot of time talking soccer. And you know, I and I told him about, about the '96 Euro being my first ever tournament. And I said, yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's it really is. You know how it turns out that Gareth Southgate was the dude who missed the penalty and. You know, and I asked him, you know, how how did you feel when that happened? And he's like, and he explained, well, it was certainly heartbreaking, but but really, but England still had a good team, and you know, and he just understood that you can't always win. I mean, even the host country, you know, despite all the pressure that they're under, you know, even sometimes they fall short because you know, like I like I just said, you simply just cannot win them all. So Germany moves on, and there's a rematch from the group stage, the 1996 European final. And you know, here's what's interesting is is that this was actually the very first tournament I believe to not have the third place match. You know, I don't remember exactly. You know, when you know a, a third place match uh, w- would take place. You know, in, in in a Euro, I never figured that it would like happen. But but for some research that I did, it was that yeah, every tournament since ninth Euro in in eighty four. Okay, okay, you know, okay. Actually, I got it wrong. Okay, 
So it's basically saying since the European Championship of 1984, which France won, and Michel Platini was the best player of the tournament, there was no third-place playoff. Okay. As far as the third-place playoff goes, really, if you, want my, if you want my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, if they included the third-place game in the European Championship, I'm just like, well, why not? But, I mean, I guess you got to give one team the bronze medal, right? But I guess since there's no third-playoff game, I guess if you lose in the semifinals... Do you, you get a bronze medal, or you, or you just remembered as a as a semifinalist? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But before I, I want to get before I get, you know, uh, you, you know what's interesting also is that the the French uh, France versus Czech Republic actually took place at Old Trafford. So, you know, at the time, you know, my mom would tell me that Old Trafford is is legendary. It's famous. I'm like, well, it's, it's only fitting for the French players to have an experience playing in one of the coolest stadiums in the world, right? And you know, for them making it to the semifinals, I mean, they they had really earned to, to actually, they earned their win the semifinals. You know, of course they were lucky enough to win the penalty shootout, but it's really not easy surviving until a penalty shootout, right? Man, you know, in this game, you know, of course, you know, much like all these soccer tournaments, of course, there's hooliganism because after England's uh, defeat in the in the to Germany in the semifinals, um, for from what I understand it, and actually I, I learned this from. Uh, the owner of the Domino's Pizza that I worked at, you know, who's from England, uh, about a large-scale riot that took place in uh, Trafalgar Square. Man, I mean, it really doesn't surprise me, of, of course, that, you know, a lot of uh, English uh, support, English, English supporters were pretty upset. You know, you know, uh, and from what I've seen, you know, a Russian student was actually stabbed in Brighton after a- attackers allegedly mistook him for being German. I'm like, damn. See, this is the hooliganism of soccer, ladies and gentlemen. You know, it it, it goes from you know simple p- people that are pissed off escalates into riots, and then there's looting, there's violence, there's just complete mayhem, there's freaking anarchy. And sometimes I would ask those people who are guilty of such acts: Is it worth it to do this just because your team lost? I mean, is it worth it to to risk ruining your freaking life to surrender your freedom, all because of a soccer game? I mean, really? I mean, I get it. You know, soccer to, to some people is more than than the game. It's religion, it's their freaking life. They love it. There's nothing they more love they, they love more than soccer. I mean, some guys will gladly say that soccer means more to them than their freaking family. I'm like, well, if that's if you believe that then fine, that that's your life, not mine, but and unfortunately, you know, hooliganism really damages the game's reputation, but in this in this scenario, I mean, England's reputation was was badly damaged and I'm just like wow. I mean, all because of a, all because of a soccer game. I mean, I get it. You know, it's heartbreaking when, when you're, you know, you, your national team is the host nation. They lose in the semifinals. You know, they're not gonna they're not gonna bring the title you know home. But look, you know, you gotta at the end at the end of the day, just move on. I mean, it'll it'll be fine. It'll be okay. I mean, you're gonna be okay. It's not like you know, England loses and your life is at risk as a result. Okay. So, so really, I mean, at the end of the game, at the end of the day, some people just look at it. It's just, it's just a game. It's just a game, and that's it. And you know, when, when, and growing up, you know, one of my friends, you know, who's from England, said, said that you know, while it was heartbreaking for him, he's proud to say at least the best English player, Alan Shearer, got an award that he can keep to himself that he does not have to share with his teammates. And I said, well, that's exactly right. Alan Shearer was the top scorer of the tournament. And he earned that, and that that's his sole award. It belongs to him and him only. But now we get to the final. A scoreless first half. But the, dread, the dreadlock breaks in the 59th minute when Czech Republic is awarded a penalty. 
and a player by the name of Patrick Berger successfully converts the penalty to give the Czech Republic a lead. Wow. But however, in the 73rd minute, a German player by the name of Oliver Bierhoff equalizes, and it's 1-1. And the regulation, that means we're going an extra time. For a little bit, it's, you know, back and forth, hard fighting, like battling over the ball and everything like that. But in the 95th minute, Oliver Bierhoff once again comes through and scores a golden goal to give Germany their third European European Championship victory. Oh boy. It was really exciting to see, really. It was. It really was. It, It was hard for me to deal with the fact that France could have been there, but we're not there. But and you know what's exciting is that you know the match being considered a rematch from the 1976 European uh, final, when both teams were kind of like you know Czech Republic was Czechoslovakia at the time, Germany was West Germany. So this was actually a rematch, but with teams that are, you know that, that are liber that are liberated for, from something like or like things are back to what it was like Germany became unified and Czech Republic you know became the Czech Republic you know previously being Czechoslovakia. I mean I don't know much. About the history and, and the politics, you know, surrounding Czechoslovakia, but it was it was really a unique a unique match to see. Really, it it, it was so. But now that I'm done talking about it, you know, I I should have mentioned it. Yeah, so basically, short, you know, the next day after France lost to the Czech Republic, you know, in a further attempt to calm me down, you know, my, my mom took me to a place, you know, where I was more happy. That I was always, you know, happy there. You know, it, it, it's in Lyon. Uh, if there's anybody here that lives or is from Lyon, that's, you're definitely familiar with a place called Le Parc de la Tête d'Or. I mean, <laughs> every weekend, you know, my, my parents had to take me there because you know, that's just a place that made me happy. But, you know, this was during the summer, so my mom, you know, I, 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 we went like several times a week. And, you know, even my parents loved that place because it was relaxing to them. But, but really, I mean, France losing really affected me, even to this day. When France loses in the semifinals or loses, you know, a huge important game, I mean, it kills me. I mean, when France lost in 2006 to Italy, I mean, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how upset I was. I mean, that's the day where I officially hated Marco Marazzi more than any man in my life. So, but, but, and, and of course, also there's the, the loss to Portugal in 2016 when France was in the final as the host country. So, you know... When you have your first, you know, major European cha- championship that you watch, you know, you're born in France, you know, you love France, and, you know, you love the players, you love the national team. I mean, the national team kind of becomes part of your life. So, and when they lose and, you know, something bad happens to them, I mean, it, it really affects you, so. So, so France has lost to the Czech Republic, really. It, it stung a little bit, as you can see, but. But it was, it was from that moment on, you know, Zinedine Zidane be- became my, my favorite player. Now, obviously, in the '96 Euro, he was not at his best. I mean, he was—he was his performance. I would say it was—it was okay. It was not—it was not terrible. You know, he was 23 years old. You know, he was playing at Bordeaux. He—he he was developing. Okay, but you know, you know, from what my mom told me, he's like, you know, he's a of Algerian descent. You know, you know, he's just like, you know, he's just like me. You know, born to immigrants. You know, my parents were from Syria. His parents were from Algeria. So I said, you know what? He and I are, are alike. And you know, and you know, like that, and you know, we both love France, and it's like that. So, 
Zinedine Zidane and I, you know, kind of have something in common. We're both, you know, sons of immigrants, you know, and like that. Although, you know, in my case, I, I didn't grow up the same way he did, you know. I didn't grow up in poverty, so, but... But Zidane really just, you know, caught my eye. And, and, and I promised my mom that one day Zinedine Zidane is going to become a French hero. And, and he did, just two years later. And what was interesting, and I really got to say this about Zidane, was that during that time, Newcastle United had the chance to sign to sign him, but they passed on him because apparently they believed that he was not he was quote not good enough to play Premier League soccer, so they pass on him, and then Juventus takes takes the opportunity to sign the guy, and the rest is history. So I said, you know what? Fine. It was his very first tournament repre- representing his home country. Of course he's not gonna he's not gonna be you know the best player. Of course he's not gonna be dominant dominant just like that. It's his first tournament. He's gonna learn. He's gonna develop. I mean, do you expect him to be the best player just like that? No. But but you know it was during that time where we we, we felt sure that you know Eric Cantona would never be seen again. And and I told myself you know Zinedine Zidane. It turns out that he would take over as a team's playmaker. So the the nineteen ninety six year really really a changing point for the history of the French national soccer team and you know two years later they win the World Cup. Four years later they win the Euro, beating Italy in the final. So really it was really the begin it was the beginning of a new golden generation. You know, in, in ninety eight, you know, Fabian Barthez would, you know, start the games as the goalkeeper and would go on to be uh the goalkeeper of the tournament. So I mean, it it was basically it it was just the beginning for it was the beginning of a glorious run for France, and it really shaped up you know the national team's talent, and really it eventually they were really on top of the world. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to remind you that Into the Net FC is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and YouTube. Thank you very much for joining me this evening. And I will see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.